It is a Tuesday. It's time for True Crime Tuesday. It's a little bit different show today. We're going to do a ripped from the headlines show today. So we're going to bring in our co-hosts early. Actually, it's our co-hostess, the co-hostess with the mostess. We're bringing in Mally Fox. Hi, Mally. Hello. It's so good to have you back this week. Oh, I'm so happy to be back. Uh, doing Rip from the Headlines this week. Uh, we're changing it up a little bit, doing a little bit different show this week. We've had a very interesting week, Mally, and it's it's time to deviate from the, the normal uh, one topic for this week, mainly because it's been a tumultuous week, uh, especially in our country, with, mm-hmm. with uh, shootings. Oh, I know. And not just the Super Bowl shooting, although we will cover that. Um, We've had shootings in churches. We've had shootings at at, uh, parades. We've had shootings on a domestic here in Minneapolis. The one in Burnsville. Yeah, in Burnsville. I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Now, this, by all means, is not a political stance show, but it's, it's... a show where we're going to talk a little bit about why the escalation in violence. Um, normally, we get this in the summertime when, when things are hotter and people's temperatures are rising. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, in the winter, in the dead of winter, we're seeing an escalation in violence. Yes. And it's curious. It's just a curious phenomenon that's going on. Let's jump into the, the headlines right away. Rip from the headlines this week. Joel Osteen in the last week or so, had a shooting at his Lakewood church. Now, it was an incredibly tragic shooting in that this, uh, this person came in, decided to shoot up his church, and had a message on the gun barrel, which was politically motivated. One of the worst things you could possibly have, and, and what it had to do with his church, not exactly clear. But someone decided to make a political statement in a place that really has no reason to be making a political statement, and that is a place of worship. I think it's safe to say, Mel, Mm -hmm. that we try to keep political statements out of our places of worship, but that doesn't necessarily happen in this day and age. Mm -hmm. That that our, our clergy at times tend to put out their political statements and, and would like their, their, their flock to reflect that, that uh, message or they would like them to go along with that message. I don't know if that was the case here. I'm not a follower of Joel Osteen. That's, that's fine. Um, but do you think they did it, though, because he was a high-profile person? Yes. So, you know, if you're going to make a statement, go after a high-profile person. That way you get more media, you get more attention. Yes, and that's exactly, I think, why it happened. <clears throat> I, I think that's exactly why it happened. Uh, Joel Osteen went back to his Lakewood church for the first time and had a Sunday service. Here's where the gaffe might have happened, and here's where the first misstep, I think, happened. When he went back to preach about er, just have Sunday service, you would think the first thing that would happen when you go to have Sunday service, it should be a coming together. It should be inspirational. Mm-hmm. You know, it should be just a, you know, we're back as a community. We're, we're back together as one. Right. We're stronger know. than ever. We're stronger than ever. Exactly. 
First thing he talks about is living without fear, which is good. You know, we're living without fear. Okay, you don't want to go tone deaf on the bed. That's the thing. He starts preaching about living without fear in that first Sunday service at Lakewood Church since the shooting. The quote is, Lord, we thank you again for what you've done, Osteen said as he took the stage during the early morning service. I don't know if you heard some of the quotes he said immediately after the shooting. To me, they seemed a little tone deaf and a little out of touch. And maybe they were taken out of context by the media. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. I'm only paraphrasing here, but he kind of, the way he put it out there, Mel, was kind of, you know, the, the Lord protected who he needed to protect, things like that. <laughs> That's a little tone deaf to who got hurt. Yeah, yeah, it is. You know, uh, here's the story. Joel Osteen preached about living without fear in the first Sunday service at his Lakewood church since shooting la- since a shooting last week that left a child in critical condition and a man injured. The alleged shooter identified as 36-year-old Genese Yvonne Moreno walked into the church accompanied by her 7-year-old son on February 11th and started shooting, according to officials. Now, her son was struck in the head during the incident and was in critical condition. A 47-year-old man was injured and has since been released from the hospital. Police previously said that man was 57 years old instead of being 47, his actual age. Osteen took to the stage during the church's 8.30 a.m. service to greet an auditorium full of people and started off a prayer at that point. He said, Lord, we think of your faithfulness, especially this week. Lord, what you brought us through, Osteen said, we don't take it for granted. Your angels were watching over each and every one of us, which is a good way to start it off. Mm -hmm. Osteen prayed for a seven-year-old boy whom he identified as Samuel and asked God to show him your mercy. The 47-year-old man, who was also injured in the shooting, attended service at the church Sunday, according to police. Osteen also prayed for the alleged shooter and her family as he broke out in tears which is good. He said, I just ask you, Lord, to heal the hurts in that family. Osteen said he never dreamed something like this would happen. He was finishing up a meeting and was walking to his office when he saw people who mentioned there had been some kind of incident at the church, he said. After getting back into his office, he got a text from Houston Police Chief Troy Finner asking if he was okay. And I text back and I said, I'm okay, but I don't know what's going on, Osteen said adding that the church is lucky to have law enforcement. Demaya Henry and Danielle Judy were at the church last week when they were told that someone was shooting and were instructed to get down. That's in quotes. At first, I didn't think it was happening, Henry told NBC News, but we didn't think anything of it. But then it took seriously when everyone started running. Henry and Judy ran to a room for children in the church and started praying. We were just in there with the children praying, Judy said. My mindset was to get as many people to pray as possible. It was traumatic, you know, for a lot of people that were here and even people that weren't here because this is our church and this is what God has given us, Osteen said. For somebody to come in and kind of, not kind of, but to violate and do something crazy. But you know what? Like we singing in all these songs, we trust in God. Osteen also honored the church's security team during his remarks, calling them heroes. He cried as he instructed everyone to hold hands in prayer. He said, quote, Lord, we thank you again for what you've done. We don't take for granted, Lord, 
it could have been a different story this Sunday, he said. During the service, Osteen preached about defining moments that can make someone decide to live in fear. That's where we are at Lakewood, Osteen said. This troubled woman came in and tried to do harm. This is a critical moment. As a church, we can shrink back. It's dangerous. Let's hide our life. Let's just go under the radar. But this is a time to shine brighter than ever, to share more hope, to dig down deep and say, we will not fear, for our God is stronger. Our God is greater. I take a little umbrage with that. Mm -hmm. There's something to be said about forgiving the aggressor, Mm -hmm. which I don't feel like there's much forgiveness there. I mean, there is and there isn't. He's praying for the aggressor. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, he's kind of saying might is right and our God is greater. You know? Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, Jared and Elizabeth Schaefer, who regularly attend the Lakewood Church, has left the building shortly before the shooting happened. They felt safe coming back to the church Sunday for 11 a.m. service. When it happened, I was shocked, Elizabeth said. Ever since that, uh, just seeing how well the church and the city handled the situation, we felt safe coming back. Houston Mayor John Whitmire and Finner, the police chief, joined Osteen on stage in the 11 a.m. service. Whitmire thanked first responders during his remarks and said the shooting had brought the community together. You know, you never question God's will, but certainly after the tragedy of last week, he had a purpose in bringing us together to show how united our city is, Whitmire said. Finner said the police department will be releasing video of the incident in a few days, adding that it shows the heroism of first responders. When God put men and women in place to protect people, that's what happened last Sunday. Finner said when he first got a call about a shooting at the Lakewood Church, he knew this one was for real. And I was grabbing my stuff trying to get together, and I said, let me pause, let me call to check on our pastor, but my brother, Finner said. And also, I thought about my mother and this entire congregation. Finner said if it weren't for first responders, the shooting could have been much worse. In almost 34 years, I've seen so much. If that person would have gotten into the sanctuary, it would have been a mass. He said. Do you find it weird that the chief had his personal phone number because he texted him? I do. I find that very strange. I do. I, the fact that the church the church has a security force, one, mm-hmm. is a little alarming. But then, two, there's a direct line to the chief. Mm-hmm. Most churches don't have that. Right. Yeah. Finner also thanked the off-duty Texas Alcoholic Beverage Commission agent and Houston police officer who were at the church when shots were fired and opened fire. So there was a police officer on scene. Mm-hmm. A motive is still not clear, but police still believe Moreno acted alone. A dispute between Moreno and her ex-husband's family, some of whom are Jewish, may be related to the shooting. Houston Police Commander Chris Hassig said in a news briefing last week, the investigation into the shooting is ongoing. There was a report at the time of the shooting that Moreno had, uh, I believe it was Free Palestine on the barrel of the gun. Okay. That's, that's um, That's not clarified or it's not, it's Mm -hmm. not, um, it's not, um, but been confirmed? Yeah, not been confirmed. Thank you, Melly. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just it's 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 all it, the th- the thing about Osteen's language here 
that alarms me is is it's it's very there's shades of might is right here Mm -hmm. you know like well we got her at the same time there's forgiveness sprinkled in there sprinkled in there Mm -hmm. but at the same time there's well but they better not cross us again right which isn't isn't the teaching of the bible You know, um, mm-hmm. I've never been a fan. I mean, if you go to those big, those big churches, I mean, good for you. I'm a traditionalist. I like my small churches, mm-hmm. you know, in a building that's 120, 150 years old, you know. Yeah. But I mean, those super churches, I think because <clears throat> I'm just not a big fan of them. I think because you always hear about when the pastor makes millions of dollars off of his parishioners mm-hmm. and it's just, and you always hear about embezzlement and I mean, hello, Tammy, was it Tammy and Tammy Faye Baker? Yeah. And her, her husband, I mean, they were ripping off their, their commissioner or their oh, sure. parishioners and mm-hmm. stuff like that. I just, I'm just not a big fan of those super churches. And abundance churches are controversial. They're controversial, mm-hmm. but all, I'll take it a, a little bit further here and, and say this. We're in America. It's mm-hmm. it's a you know, it's a capitalist society. Whether you believe that the business of religion is a business or whether it's right. here to serve strictly to minister to people and not be in the business of making money is your opinion. And you're entitled to that opinion, and you're entitled to support whoever it is you want to support. If you want to support Joel Osteen, God love you, go with you, and Mm -hmm. and continue to support him. It's your right. And if you prefer to be of a more spiritual ilk and want to support someone who is of a more traditional ilk, then God love you and continue to do that as well. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to I'm not going to say you're right or wrong either way. What I find unusual is that is the security part of it. Um right. Now, I kind of applaud the fact that that church is secure. I I like that, believe it or not. I like the fact that those parishioners are safe. That that there was, oh, what's a good way to put this, Mel? That there was a lack of casualty there. Um, but what, is the security there for the parishioners, or is the security there for Joel himself? That's the question. That's the question that you got to before. If I he's get like to a it. big rock star to his people, I'm thinking security's for him, protection for him. That's the question. And you, you, you got to it. You, you sprung on it, my friend, before I could spring to it. Um, oh, I'm sorry. No, no, no. And that's good. That That's the question that I wanted to ask that you asked. And that's perfect. Um, who's the security for? Is it truly for the parishioners? That's who it should be there for. Mm-hmm. It should be there for the parishioners. Because a lot of times we see the sign on the door, you're not allowed to bring firearms into a house of worship. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, then there should be somebody there to per- protect parishioners when they come to worship. 
because they have let their guard down. And we live in a society now where nobody is safe. Right. That these type of incidents can happen at any time. And unfortunately, we don't have answers. Now, I'm of a mind, of a practical mind, that we all need to take responsibility for each other and watch each other's six. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you do it in today's society other than have a lookout. Somebody mm-hmm. has to be aware. Somebody has to be aware and cut it off before it gets worse. Right? Mm-hmm. But as you put it so eloquently, Mally, is that security there for Osteen or is it there for his parishioners? Which brings us to our next story. And that is the safety of the actual people doing the protecting. Mm -hmm. There's an alarming thing that happened on Sunday morning. I woke up and the TV was already on. And I see on my television that, unfortunately, two police officers and a first responder are dead in Burnsville, Minnesota. And it happened due to a domestic dispute. And you think to yourself, what kind of society do we live in when a domestic dispute takes out three of our precious law enforcement officers. Mm-hmm. Now, you have a first responder in your family. Mm-hmm. I know I have that, a few of them. Yeah, a few of them. I know it can't <laughs> be easy for you to think each and every day that, you know, even though you try to put it out of your mind and, and you know, and think that, well, mm-hmm. it's just a routine day. They're going to come back. It's no big deal that that day could be the day that something goes wrong. Mm -hmm. I do have a quick question, though, because I do have um, quite a few family members that are first responders on my husband's side. Um, I know that, well, because my husband's Detroit, so fire department Detroit, and um, I know that, or Detroit area, but I know that um, when it's a, sticky situation and there is a person with, you know, a person who is armed, they keep those first responders back. Like the mm-hmm. cops are right up there yeah. and the first responders are not allowed to go up to the scene until they have the, you know, they, they're given the all clear. Yeah. So I'm curious as to what, how the first responder got shot. If it just was, he just was not far back enough or if he was trying to help one of the cops that was shot. Cause I think there was another cop shot shot. Correct. But he survived, right? Uh, let's get into the story and we'll find out here. Uh, two police officers and a first responder were killed in Burnsville, Minnesota, responding to a call of a family in danger. This on Sunday morning, according to Minnesota governor, Tim walls, the city of Burnsville was uh, released a statement identifying those killed as officers, 27 year old Paul Elmstrand, and 27-year-old Matthew Rouge, 
as well as 40-year-old Adam Finseth, who worked as a firefighter and paramedic. Another officer, Adam Medicott, uh, was taken to the hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. We must never take for granted the bravery and sacrifices our police officers and first responders make every day, Walls said. My heart is with the families today and the entire state of Minnesota stands with Burnsville. Medicott was shot at the scene and expected to survive, said Drew Evans, the superintendent of the Bureau of Criminal Apprehension in the Minnesota Department of Public Safety and Burnsville Police Chief Tanya Schwartz. Our folks come to work every day and are willing to give the ultimate sacrifice of their life, but no one expects it to happen. Burnsville Fire Chief uh, B.J. Youngman said at the Sunday press conference, he added that it was a tragic day and that we were all grieving. Uh, according to a statement from the city, police were called to the residence at 1.50 a.m. local time on Sunday over a report that an armed man was barricaded inside with family members. Evans called it a domestic violence situation and said there were seven children aged 2 to 15 found inside the home with the suspect. The Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms and Explosives said earlier on social media that it responded to a scene where there had been reports of officers involved in domestic-related shooting. Evans said officers negotiated with the suspect while additional officers responded to the scene. During those negotiations, the man opened fire, killing Elmstrand, Rouge, and Finseth, and injuring Medicott. So it sounds like it was an external shooting that got them. Mm-hmm. So the the scene was not secure yet. Gotcha. Evans said investigators were unsure of the exact exchange of gunfire that occurred between the suspect and several officers who returned fire. He added that the suspect had several guns and large amounts of ammunition and shot at the police officers from multiple positions within the home, including the upper portion and main floor of the residence. Officers also took fire from outside the home, Evans said. At least one of the officers was shot inside the home, he said, adding that officials were still piecing together whether the two other officers were shot inside or outside. The alleged shooter was reported dead around 8 a.m., and the other family members safely left the home later in the morning, according to the city statement. There had been no prior calls for service at the home or regarding the suspected shooter, Evans said. Uh, he asked for patience while the department investigates the incident and noted the investigation was at its initial stages. Very tricky mm-hmm. as to what happened. And this was... This was an incident that went on for hours, Mally. So you right. figure, it, you know, early in the morning, you're talking 1, 2 in the morning, it extends mm-hmm. out until 8 a.m. when the shooter's actually killed. Right. This is a long standoff. Could you imagine that just the the children and how terrified they were? I mean, what did it say? There were seven? Seven children? Was it seven or eight? Let me look here. They're but I mean, they must have been just terrified, but... I'm sure that this was not the first time that seven. this shooter. There were seven, okay, seven. seven children aging or ra- ages from two to 15. Uh-huh. But it sounds like this guy might have had a history of kind of flying off the handle. Yeah, it's uh, I tell you, when, when you've got seven hostages, essentially, mm-hmm. and you're trying to guarantee the safety of those seven hostages. You talk about a tricky situation. And we don't know exactly how they're trying to maneuver 
mm-hmm. and, and trying to get those children out of the home, I suppose there's, there's times where they're, they're trying to approach the home. They're trying to get children out one by one. Mm-hmm. That may be how some of these officers were shot. We don't know. We don't know until the investigation notes are, are released. And, and but there wasn't, there wasn't a significant other, though, correct? Like a wife or a girlfriend? It was just the children and the uh, it doesn't shooter? Say. They, don't, they, they didn't release that. Mm. They didn't release that, uh, <clears throat> that particular, uh, that particular uh, piece of information. Okay. All will be revealed later. Gotcha. So, yeah. Yeah. Still very scary. Very scary. So meanwhile, earlier in the week, we have this Super Bowl parade for the Kansas mm-hmm. City Chiefs. It's supposed to be a happy time in Kansas City. Hundreds of thousands of people descend on Union Square. And for the most part, things are going well. The team gets to coach. Everyone celebrates. There's championship belts and trophies and and everybody gets together and talks about three-peat. That's what everyone talks about, Mally, three-peat. Well, at the end of it, shots are fired. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of people who are sitting ducks. And then we have a problem. And a huge problem at that. Two juveniles were charged in connection with the shooting at that Super Bowl parade, which left one person dead and 22 others injured. The juveniles were taken into custody after the parade and were charged Thursday and are being held at a juvenile detention center on gun-related and resisting arrest charges. That, according to the Jackson County Family Court Division of the 16th Judicial Circuit Court of Missouri, additional charges are being expected as the police investigation continues. According to Police Chief Stacy Graves, who was out in front of Union Square just a couple hours after the shooting took place. Not even. They were very quick to inform the nation as to what was going on. She says, I'm grateful for the charges against the two juveniles who hurt innocent people, simultaneously scarring an entire community. She added, the investigators will not relent until everyone who may have played a part in these crimes is apprehended so that they may be punished to the fullest extent of the law. In other words, these two aren't the only two. Mm-hmm. There's more involved. The shooting happened Wednesday afternoon in downtown Kansas City next to Union Station where the parade had ended and the rally was held. Authorities say they believed a dispute among several people ended in gunfire and said there was no evidence of violent extremism or terrorism. Popular radio DJ Lisa Lopez Galvin was killed. Her family said her death was a big loss. Her brother, Beto Lopez, said Lopez Galvin was a lot more than just a number. She was a very wholesome, very caring, very loving individual, he said to NBC's Today Show. Police said that the other 22 victims ranged in age from 8 to 47, and at least half were under the age of 16, mm. which directly, um, directly disputed everything that was reported even at the press conference, the initial press conference, Mally, where Chief Graves had said, no, 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 no one, no minors were shot in initially is what was being reported. Mm-hmm. The fact that that many children at this parade <clears throat> were shot is devastating. Yes. It tells you how dangerous the situation really was. 
the youngest patient that Children's Mercy Hospital in Kansas City received was six years old. Oh. Yeah. Three people were initially taken into custody after the shooting. Police said Thursday that one of them was released after it was determined that they were not involved in the incident. Several firearms have been recovered, according to the police chief. Many witnesses described the scene as chaotic as people fled in different directions. 40-year-old Nick Buddy of Kansas City said he saw a number of injured people as he and his family tried to get to safety. 37-year-old Jacob Gooch of Leavenworth, Kansas, said he heard a woman telling someone, not now, this isn't the place, moments before the shooting. Gooch, who was about 15 feet away, was shot in the ankle and suffered a couple of broken bones as a result. His 13-year-old son was shot in the foot, and his partner, Emily Travis, was shot in the calf. Other witnesses, including Paul Contreras, tackled potential suspects, Video posted on social media showed that. In an interview with NBC's Today Show, he said he saw someone running in the opposite direction and took him down. If you happen to see that video, by the way, on social media, it's quite impressive. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. The fact that someone ran towards danger and not away from it, mm-hmm. towards someone who's armed, and basically takes him down and says, nah, not today. Keep in mind, that's not what you're told to do in this situation. You're told to run and find shelter, find safety. And we don't, here on the program, we're not, you know, we're not, uh, we're not uh, advocating uh, vigilantism by any means. But the fact of the matter is, is that someone saw the opportunity to take mm-hmm. this, this kid out, and it was a kid. Right. And to take this gun and decided at this point they were going to take their shot. Not, I mean, not literally, but right. Um, but get this gun away from this kid and save lives and decided to do so. Could you imagine the chaos that was going on? Not knowing where the shots are coming from, why, you know, the cops are trying to figure out what's going on as well. Well, in that moment, you got to think the first thing is terrorism. I mean, in mm-hmm. our, our right. minds, we're thinking mass shooting or terrorism. Yep. And in that area of the country, I, I mean, I, I hate to, I'm not stereotyping anything, but in that area of the country, you're probably more likely to have a gang issue than you are mm-hmm. terrorism. Or some sort of squabble than terrorism. Right. Yeah, because they say that they have one of the highest crime levels. Yeah. So you were probably dealing with a gang issue mm-hmm. at, at that particular uh, point. So meanwhile, there is a good side to, believe it or not, to this shooting, Super Bowl parade shooting, Mel. Um, two people who, depending on which side of the aisle you're on or which side of the story you're on, you may either really, really love or really, really despise and Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey have stepped up and donated money to the families of the victims of the shooting. Okay. Uh, Taylor Swift has donated $100,000 to the family of the woman who was fatally shot at the Chiefs Victory Parade, which I find impressive. That's just mm-hmm. me. Um, you know, it, it's it's one of those things that, that when one of these tragedies happen it, it, people can either step up and they can help in different ways or or they can sit back and observe the tragedy and do nothing mm-hmm. you know and and talk about it uh a gofundme was set up for lisa lopez galvin 
the, the DJ who was killed in this scenario. The goal was to raise $75,000 to take care of expenses and, and other things uh, surrounding her. DJs, by the way, don't make a ton of money. I don't know if people mm -hmm. know that or not. And doesn't she have like two children? Yes, she has two children as well. Um, Taylor Swift wrote this, sending my deepest sympathies and condolences in the wake of your devastating loss with love, Taylor Swift, on the, on the GoFundMe. And with that, dropped 100 grand. Now, I heard she didn't go to the, the uh, parade because of security issues. No, no, no. It was because she was, uh, she was in Australia. Okay. Because yeah. somewhere I read that the, that was one of her concerns was security, and that's why she didn't attend the parade. No, 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 not true. She was uh, mm -hmm. she was in Melbourne, Australia, performing. She she gotcha. wanted to be at the parade, but she had a, a concert date. So, yeah, so she was she was in Melbourne, Australia. She was playing the first night of a three night engagement there uh, after traveling halfway around the world to be at the Super Bowl. So, it was kind of a tight schedule. She went from Japan to the Super Bowl to Melbourne, Australia. I know people are saying, Tim, how do you know that? Are you a Swifty? No, it's written in front of me. So. There you go. I'm I'm not that much into Taylor, but I have I have newfound respect for. Her, I'll tell you that I really do mm -hmm. for for stepping up and and doing that. Um, Swiss rep confirmed to Variety that the donations by the singer uh, appearing on the page are legit. So that it's not you know it's not a it's not a hoax. People right. at, at times like this will say, oh, it's a hoax. It was a fake. It was a fake deal. It, there's no way she she gave that up. Nope, she actually did. Uh, she actually did do that. Uh, do that donation now. To be matched, Travis Kelsey donated a hundred thousand dollars to two kids that were shot during the parade. Um, the family said that the two girls that sustained leg injuries and will be in cast for several months after undergoing surgery to treat their gunshot wounds were recipients of a hundred thousand dollars from. Travis Kelsey, the NFL Stars reps confirmed to Today.com that Kelsey's 87 running organization gave two $50,000 donations to a GoFundMe raising money to provide financial support to the Ray's family, which was the two girls that were shot uh, in the parade. Kelsey founded 87 and running in 2015 to help underserved youth strive to become productive citizens by mentoring and motivating them to explore and develop their abilities while learning critical life skills. Following the shooting, the Chiefs tight end wrote that he was heartbroken over the tragic event that occurred following the team's Super Bowl parade. He says, I am heartbroken over the tragedy that took place today. He tweeted this, by the way, my heart is with all who came out to celebrate with us and have been affected. Casey, you mean the world to me. So the Ray's family shared an update on their daughters who are 8 and 10 years old in a press release obtained by NBC News on February 16th. The family said that the two girls sustained leg injuries and will be in cast for several months after undergoing surgery to treat their gunshot wounds, um, which... Again, painful, painful surgeries to go through, especially for that age. And you worry mm -hmm. at that age that they'll, they'll develop properly, you know, after that type of catastrophic wound. Um, but Travis Kelsey stepped in and, and donated $50,000 to uh, each surgery. So there you I go. wonder if any other players donated money. That's a good question, Mel. I, I mean, I know it's not the responsibility, but it's kind of like the right thing to do. Right. 
I'm sure we'll hear stories in the coming days of of other players and and um, and other stars donating money to to help other victims. I mean, there's 22 of them mm-hmm. that uh, suffered either minor injuries or or had you know somewhat major injuries. The ones, I mean, those two girls had some pretty major injuries there. So, mm-hmm. so yeah. But good to see some good coming out of some of the tragedy there, and some 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 rebuilding going on there uh, in in some tragedy. Tell you what, we're going to take a break here. When we come back, an appeals court upholds a life sentence for a man who bombed the Atlanta Olympics, a bar, and abortion clinics. Mm. That's coming up. Uh, also, a mom who jumped onto train tracks after her twins were found dead in a car is arrested. We've got some unusual headlines coming up in the next part of Ripped from the Headlines. And a man convicted of fatally beating his girlfriend, dropping a sofa on her body and sleeping on it. We'll talk about that story as well. We're about to get a little morose and a little, uh, let's just say a little morbid. Yeah. It's coming up next on Rip from the Headlines. This is True Crime Tuesday with Tim Dennis and Mally Fox right here on Darkness Radio. Welcome back to Rip from the Headlines on True Crime Tuesday. I'm Tim Dennis. Right over there is Mally Fox. Our next story, Mally, has to do with an appeals court which upheld the life sentence for a man who bombed the Atlanta Olympics, a bar, and abortion clinics. We go to Atlanta where an appeals court upheld the life sentence of a man who pleaded guilty to bombing the 1996 Olympics in Atlanta and an abortion clinic six months later, saying he waived his right to an appeal when he entered the plea in the first place. The 11th Circuit Court of Appeals published an opinion on February 12th announcing that Eric Rudolph will remain in prison for the rest of his life for the deadly bombings, which killed four people and injured over 150 Mm-hmm. That's that's a huge amount of people. Rudolph pleaded guilty in 2005 to six federal counts of arson and four counts of use of a destructive device during and in relation to a crime of violence. By entering the plea, Rudolph was able to avoid the death penalty. He was sentenced to six consecutive life terms, plus 120 years in federal prison. On July 26th of 1996, Rudolph left a pipe bomb under a bench near the stage at Centennial Olympic Park in Atlanta, where over 50,000 people had gathered. The bomb was made of three plumbing pipes covered in five pounds of three-inch nails as shrapnel. Early on July 27th of 1996, the bomb went off and instantly killed 44-year-old Alice Hawthorne. She had traveled to Atlanta with her daughter to watch the Olympics. A cameraman reportedly suffered a fatal heart attack during the explosion, which injured over 100 people. Rudolph opted for Centennial Olympic Park because the whole world would be watching. And then didn't that guy, was it a security guy? Or who was the gentleman that was wrongly accused? He was innocent, but it basically destroyed his life. Yeah, they they made the movie about... um, about him. Um, oh, why can't I think of his name? I forgot they made a movie, but I just remember him being innocent and his life just went downhill after being accused. Yes, I can't remember his name offhand, but yeah, you're you're right mm-hmm. about that. Yeah, absolutely. 
Let's move on. A bizarre story here, Mally. A, P- a Pennsylvania judge is charged with shooting her ex-boyfriend in the head, tried convincing the victim he shot himself. <laughs> I know, it sounds like something that would be out of dumb crime, stupid criminals, but... If she was successful, that's a great case of gaslighting. It oh, is. No, you did it to yourself. It is, isn't it? This is one of the more bizarre stories from last week. A Pennsylvania judge who allegedly shot her ex-boyfriend in the head and then tried to convince him that he shot himself was charged with first-degree attempted murder and aggravated assault. The shooting happened February 10th at a home in Harrisburg after the victim, Michael McCoy, attempted to end his one-year relationship with Magistral District Judge Sonia McKnight, according to a probable cause affidavit. Susquehanna Township Police said McKnight called 911 to report that her boyfriend could not see and requested an ambulance come to the home. McKnight told the dispatcher that she did not know what happened because she was sleeping and woke him up or woke up to him screaming just out of the blue. (laughs) Somehow I don't buy that story. Mm -hmm. During an investigation, police say they learned that McCoy had tried numerous times to break up with McKnight. The affidavit states that at one point he took his key from McKnight, but she used a spare to enter his home while he was at work. On the evening of February 9th, McCoy told detectives that he came home from work and found McKnight sitting on his couch in pajamas. McCoy left the home to go to a local bar, according to an affidavit. Things were tense when McCoy returned home, according to the affidavit, and McKnight asked if they could talk, but McCoy did not want to. McCoy told McKnight that he would enlist the help of her mother to get her out of his home. This lady does not take no for an answer. (laughs) No is not in her vocabulary. Right? And you said she's a judge? Yeah, she's a judge. Unless no starts with a K and ends with a W. That's when no is in her (laughs) vocabulary, right? Right. At this point, Sonia McKnight responds, oh, you're serious. (laughs) (laughs) Michael McCoy stated that it was like she finally understood that it was over. Weird. He wanted his key back. Yeah. McCoy then went to bed. He told detectives that he was asleep for about an hour or two when he woke up with massive head pain and could not see. He begins screaming and he hears Sonia McKnight say, Mike, what did you do to yourself? (laughs) Oh, how bizarre. Oh, Lordy. Authorities said that McKnight allegedly tried to convince her ex-boyfriend that he had shot himself. McCoy repeatedly stated to police that he did not shoot himself, according to the document. Detectives determined that McKnight's interview with them was found to be deceptive and the gun used was registered to her, the affidavit alleges. A test conducted within an hour after the shooting also found gun residue on her hands, according to the affidavit. 54-year-old McCoy suffered a single gunshot wound that entered near his right temple and exited near the left temple. Authorities said McCoy is now blind in his right eye. So she was trying to make it look like a suicide, and he happened to survive. So she's probably like, oh, crap. Yeah. 
The 57-year-old McKnight is an elected judge in Dauphin County and has been since 2016, was suspended without pay in mid-November by the Court of Judicial Discipline after she allegedly violated judicial probation from a previous misconduct case stemming from her alleged interference with the 2020 arrest of her son following a traffic stop. Oh. She's a she's in a unique one there, man. Yeah. Yeah. She was acquitted of criminal charges in that case. McKnight was also previously charged with shooting her estranged husband in 2019. Yes, this isn't the first time. Oh. After she allegedly invited him over to her home to help her move furniture. She was not charged in that case after it was ruled to be self-defense. Oh, my gosh. She's a piece of work. Yeah. Yeah. It gets better. (laughs) It's been a weird week, folks. And Mm -hmm. this is this episode of Rip from the Headlines is here for a reason. It's been a bizarre week around the country. A mom who jumped onto train tracks after twins were found dead in their car is arrested. We go to Miami, where a North Miami mother was arrested almost two weeks after her three-year-old twins were found dead in her car, and she jumped off a freeway on-ramp onto train tracks. Miami-Dade County corrections and rehabilitation records show Sherlene, I believe this is Alcime, was booked into jail Thursday, February 15th on two counts of child neglect causing great bodily harm. She's being held without bond. On February 2nd at approximately 2 a.m., a driver called Miami-Dade Police to report there were two unresponsive children in a vehicle on the northbound Interstate 95 near the Florida Turnpike Extension. When officers arrived, Alcime uh, leapt off the expressway wall from a considerable height and fell onto the tracks. Paramedics rushed Alcime, uh, I believe this is Melendent Napoleon Cadet, and her twin brother, Melendir Napoleon Cadet, to a hospital where the children were pronounced dead. Alcime was in critical condition following the fall. According to court records cited by WTVJ-TV, Melindet and Melindir were foaming at the mouth and nose when the driver found them. Alcime had allegedly been thinking about killing her twins and herself for months due to her current financial status and multiple debts that she owes. Good God. The affidavit reportedly says Alcime admitted to contemplating jumping off the bridge with both victims or throwing them off one by one, Mally, and then jumping to end their lives. Mm. That is sad. That's for sure. Let's move on. A man is convicted of fatally beating his girlfriend, dropping a sofa on her body, and sleeping on it. Oh, this is wrong. We go to Chester County, Pennsylvania, where a jury found a 33-year-old man guilty of murder and several other charges for fatally beating his girlfriend what prosecutors called a painful and brutal death. The Chester County District Attorney's Office announced February 9th that Leroy Brom was convicted of first-degree murder, several counts of aggravated assault, simple assault, and recklessly endangering another person for the death of 21-year-old Annabelle Meenan. 
the murder conviction carries a mandatory sentence of life in prison without parole. On December 4th of 2021, East Vincent Township police officers responded to the 800 block of Buttonwood Avenue to a medical emergency and found Meenan unresponsive on the ground with injuries all over her body. The district attorney's office said Brom was at the scene when police arrived, but he did not attempt to revive his girlfriend. Meenan was transported to a local hospital where she was pronounced dead. According to the district attorney's office, Meenan had extensive trauma to her head and face as well as lacerations across the rest of her body. Meenan and Brom had reportedly been drinking together the night prior and continued when they got back to their house. Inside, there was blood on the kitchen walls, a shattered oven door, and a hole in the wall. Meenan's broken cell phone was reportedly on the ground as well. Brom had a swollen ankle and a bruised hand when police got there. The district attorney's office said Brahm savagely beat the victim on several occasions leading up to the murder. Many of these beatings were reportedly caught on the video security system inside their home. On the night of her death, Brahm was seen punching and kicking Mian in the head at least 85 times. Oh, my goodness. And stomping on her at least 80. Oh. What a horrible way to die. According to the Daily Local News, Brahm and Meenan had been in a relationship since she was in high school, but he believed she was cheating on him. On the night of the killing, Brahm punched her as she was on the bed, jumped on her body, and continued to beat her. At one point, he reportedly picked up their living room couch and dropped it on her body. Afterwards, he laid on the sofa and fell asleep. What a piece of work. Mm-hmm. Meenan was reportedly having a sexual relationship with a man Brom uh, also allegedly slept with previously. Try to follow that roadmap there, Mally. Yeah. Chester County Deputy District Attorney Kate Wright said during the trial he was done with Annabelle choosing another man instead of himself. He wanted to reassert his control over her. Over and over, he beat her the night of her death until she was bruised and beaten and bloody. Meenan's cause of death was reportedly cardiac arrest from consuming alcohol and cocaine, but the medical examiner said the cardiac arrest was brought on by the beatings. Again, a horrible way to die. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Let's go on to our next story here. Again, a, a very... Bizarre story. A missing Tennessee deputy and a woman he was driving to jail are found dead in a river. We go to, I believe this is Meigs County, Tennessee. The body of a rookie deputy who disappeared while driving someone to jail was found in a river in rural Tennessee. According to the 9th Judicial District Attorney Russell Johnson, on Wednesday, February 14th at 9.48 a.m., Meigs County Deputy Robert R.J. Leonard responded to a disturbance on a bridge and arrested a woman. Three minutes later, Leonard informed dispatch he was en route to the county jail with the woman handcuffed in the back seat. At 10.03 p.m., Leonard had tried making contact with dispatch, but service was choppy, and they had a difficult time deciphering what he was saying. Johnson said analysts determined he said water. Around the same time, he texted his wife, arrest. This was reportedly Leonard's first arrest. Leonard stopped responding to status checks from dispatch, which prompted law enforcement officials to start searching for him. 
On Thursday, February 15th, Johnson announced Leonard's car was discovered submerged in a river near Blythe Ferry, which matched Johnson's last known location. A female reportedly found deceased and covered in mud in the back seat. She was still handcuffed. There was also Mm. mud in the front seat of the vehicle, but Johnson's body was not in the car. Oh, that's bizarre. According to Johnson, the patrol car was nose in, but upside down and wheels up. The driver's side window was open. The Hamilton County Sheriff's Office said in a statement Thursday that Leonard's body was located and escorted in a motorcade to the Knoxville Regional Medical Examiner's Office. The victim found in the back seat has not publicly been identified yet. Johnson said he and investigators are operating under the theory that it was an accident. Leonard had only been with the sheriff's office for about two months. Mm. That is just sad. That is ripped for the, from the headlines for this week. With that, we're going to lighten things up a little bit. We're going to change gears. It's time now for Dumb Crimes and Stupid Criminals. It's, it's Crayon News Storytime. What happened with this dude, Christbearer? I heard he uh, cut his penis off and then jumped off a balcony. Suspect pulls gun from butt, shoots twice at Denver police. What is your emergency? I need help. And what's the problem? I'm too high. You're too high? Yeah. Well, it's that time again, the time you've all been looking forward to. It's time now for Dumb Crime, Stupid Criminals. I don't need to reintroduce the co-hostess with the most. She's right over there. She's Mally Fox, although I just did it, didn't I, Mally? <laughs> yeah, you did. Yeah, I did. <laughs> Uh, we started out our first story with a weird one, Mal. Uh, mm-hmm. I know you've been fishing before. You're in Michigan. You're a Minnesota gal. You've you've come via Kentucky. There's fishing in all mm-hmm. three states, right? Yes. What's the weirdest thing you've ever caught? Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think. <laughs> well, you know what? I haven't caught, but they've gotten off of the Detroit River. They've caught, like, um, guns and stuff. That is weird, yeah. Yeah. Although I suppose people, you know, they do a crime, they try to break apart a gun, they throw it in the water. You see it all the time on mobster uh, films and, mm-hmm. and TV shows, right? Mm-hmm. How about four tons of cocaine? <laughs> no, I have not witnessed that. <laughs> no. Sometimes you just, you know, catch four, ton, four tons of cocaine while searching for a missing fisherman. It can happen. <laughs> I don't know where, but it can happen. Right. Probably down in like Miami or something. Probably. Uh, Authorities accidentally discovered a submarine containing four tons of cocaine while searching for a missing fisherman. Uh, Submarine. Oh, it happened in Colombia. Oh, that's there you go. (laughs) That's the place to find yourself some cocaine. That's for sure. A submarine filled with 4,000 kilograms or approximately 4.5 tons of cocaine and piloted by four criminals was discovered off the Pacific coast of Colombia. Officials conducting a search mission for two missing fishermen stumbled upon the illicit submarine craft on Wednesday, dubbed the Narco Sub. The underwater vehicle was intercepted by the Colombian Navy and Air Force, as well as the Navy of neighboring Ecuador. With this seizure, the entry of more than $137 million dollars into drug trafficking organizations was, was prevented, as well as the marketing of more than 10 million doses of are onto the streets of the world. The Colombian Navy said, "You ever wonder what the Colombian Navy looks like?" 
I've, I've never thought about it, to be honest. Sorry, that's just my ADD <laughs> kicking in and what the Columbia uh-huh. Navy looks like. And if they ever join the village people, that's what I'm wondering. Oh, jeez. Uh, the 50-foot-long submarine contained 205 packages of substances that tested positive for cocaine. Authorities say the drugs were arranged in packages of all shapes and sizes. I want mine to look like a balloon animal. <laughs> just saying four individuals were aboard the vessel and arrested when the 4.5 tons of cocaine were seized the Colombian navy published a video documenting the anti-trafficking operation on their social media accounts because why not they got to put something up right mm-hmm. i mean other than you know it's good pr yeah i mean you can only take so many pictures of your lunch when you're the Colombian <laughs> navy eventually you got to put up pics of cocaine <clears throat> just saying We'll move on. An Alaska man is cited for harassing a moose after posting video online. Mm. You ever harassed a moose before, Mel? No. I got to think it's a specialized type harassment. (laughs) Can a moose file a restraining order? (laughs) You're really asking that question. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know, I... Most people. I know that they have those signs that say, you know, do not aggravate the wildlife. Right. Because they can't aggravate back. Or can they? Well, they probably could. Sure. If they get. They're big creatures. They, oh, the moose are, right? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, we've both been. Attack your car. Right. We've both been to Colorado. They they tell us Uh don't aggravate the elk or the elk Mm -hmm. aggravate back, right? Yes. Yeah. Dangerously. Fatally, if if you get them really worked up. An Alaska resident has been cited for harassing a young moose by allegedly chasing the animal in his four-wheeler along the iced-over Yukon River. Not-too-bright 38-year-old Elliot Edwards of Pilot Station was cited for using a motor vehicle to harass, herd, drive, or molest game. Mm. It's an unusual charge. Yes. According to the Alaska Department of Public Safety, troopers cited Edwards after receiving a tip from a concerned citizen and reviewing video footage posted to Facebook by Edwards. Not the brightest move, by the way. On January 27th, the footage was still public at the time of this post and can be viewed um, by going to a certain website. I I don't think it's necessary, by the way. In the Mm -hmm. footage, the moose is running for its life and ultimately slips on the ice as the red vehicle comes partially into view. Oh, that poor moose. Yeah. A dispatch from the Atlanta, Atlanta, yes, by way of Alaska Public Safety Department. (laughs) I'm having problems myself today, Mally. The moose attempted to get to safety multiple times but was unable to because of high river banks. The four-wheeler continued to chase the moose until it slipped on the ice. An investigation determined on January 29th that Edwards used a red Honda four-wheeler to chase a calf moose until it slipped on the ice. Well, that poor moose. That guy should have his four-wheeler taken away. He's an idiot. Yeah. Or, or better yet, eye for an eye, Mally, chase Edwards around with the four-wheeler until he's exhausted and, and breaks both his legs. There we go. Yeah. Uh, Edwards is scheduled to be arraigned March 7th in Bethel, Alaska. So show up to the uh, arraignment and then chase him around until uh, he's exhausted and falls mm-hmm. over. Speaking of chasing people around on, on wheels, cops catch up to a motorcycle moron. A 24-year-old rider is filmed uh, in police pursuit 
and a variety of illegal antics pursue or are pursued or happen to be pursued, or you pick the adjective, I'll wait. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, here's a little reminder for you. When recklessly riding your speeding unregistered motorcycle through city streets while being pursued by police, do not record your illegal exploits and upload the video evidence to YouTube. It's well, that's common sense. Yeah. Well, uh, there's no such yeah. thing, Allie. True. No such thing. Also, don't warn a fellow rider that we're going to be doing illegal shit. Because <laughs> <laughs> that stays on the video as well. Mm-hmm. Police say that 24-year-old Javon Gomes made those mistakes last month while riding through St. Petersburg, Florida streets atop his yellow Surin Ultra B, which is an electric motorcycle, via a helmet-mounted camera. Oh, God. Gomes recorded himself driving on one wheel, going through red lights, riding the wrong way, and traveling on sidewalks. And those are the ones that get slammed. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Oh, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When unmarked police vehicles on a squad car with its lights flashing began chasing him, Gomes taunted officers, gave him the old finger, the old one finger salute, Mel. Oh, boy. And then he screamed, fuck you. Pardon the language there. Uh, he he gets smashed by a car. Oh, I hope so. Uh, he <laughs> also yelled at one cop, why are you so mad, Holmes? Oh, jeez. And mockingly declared, oh, I'm scared. Did you make that part up? No, he did. Oh, he really said that? Yeah. <laughs> I was given the benefit of the doubt not being too stupid. <laughs> no, no. Oh, he's stupid. Uh, at 9.26, or a 9 minute and 26 second video of the January 23rd encounter was uploaded the following day to Gomes's YouTube account, which, by the way, if you're looking for it, is called Ryden with an N, Wit J, and J oh. is capitalized. So Ryden Wit J, all one word. For the enjoyment of his 92 subscribers. He's got a big audience. You know, he's going to reach 100 because we gave his, That's his right. thing for yep. YouTube. Riding with Jay. <laughs> Let's get him up to 102, y'all. Yeah. Woo-woo. Woo-woo. Uh, the clip is titled, Cops Tried to Take Down Suron. Oh, yeah. Wow. Investigators yesterday morning caught up with Gomes, who was identified via various contacts with him seen in the city, and through his social media accounts. He was charged with fleeing and eluding police, which is a felony, and three misdemeanors. Cops seized a firearm from him when he was taken into custody, because he's not bright. No. Mm -mm. Gomes is locked up in the county jail on how much bond, Mally? Oh, boy, you're going to do this to me. Let's say 100000 Oh, Oh, let's go lower. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. 50000 a little bit lower. One more guess. 35. You're close. $17,150 bond in advance of a court hearing. He, uh, let me show you his mugshot here. Show it you. should be higher because he put not, oh. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, he not only put his life in danger, but other people. Yeah. And imagine how scarred they would be if they slammed into him because he's doing a freaking wheelie through a red light. Right. Right. Idiot. But he did flip them off. Yeah. That's true. Right. Yes, he did. Um, are you a clean freak? Clean freak? Yeah, clean freak. Um, a little bit. Have you ever gotten so anal retentive about cleanliness that you just needed to stab somebody in the face? 
no, but I give him the look. <laughs> okay, the look is pretty bad, right? I got that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, a woman in Nebraska allegedly stabbed a woman in the face because she said her house was dirty. Mm. I don't know that we need to get that serious. We go to Lincoln, Nebraska. A 24-year-old woman is facing an assault charge after she allegedly attacked two women in her apartment, including stabbing one of them below the eye. Wow. On Sunday, February 11th, just after midnight, Lincoln Police Department officers responded to a residence regarding a stabbing. Police located two females who alleged that Tatiana Ineges beat them after they remarked on how dirty Ineges's house was. They reportedly remarked on the lack of cleanliness because two children were living there. Well, the kids aren't clean creatures. No, right? they're not. I have a teenager in my house. Yeah, yeah. They don't clean up after themselves. Ineges allegedly choked one of the victims and punched out the second woman as she tried to rescue her. <laughs> At one point, Ineges reportedly picked up a knife and slashed one of the women in the face, causing a half-inch laceration under her eye. The stabbing victim also had defensive marks on her hands. K-O-L-N, the Colm. Reports four children were at home when the fight broke out, but they didn't join in. Go figure. <laughs> oh, that's good. Uh, police in the home noticed an extreme amount of dog feces and dead mice in the Ew. basement. I think then the women had a right to say the yes. house was dirty. Yes. Yeah. It wasn't just like a couple dishes in the sink. No. Or hair whiskers after you wipe down the sink. Right. <laughs> um. Right. <laughs> Uh, as well as other dirty clothing items in the house. Well, that, that was just like whipped cream on top of the uh, the the old pie there. If you right. know what I mean. The, the old feces. Come on, yeah. Gross. The old dog shit and dead mice pie has mm. a little bit of whipped cream on it. Uh, the children are now reportedly in the custody of a family member because evidently they didn't want them to play with the dog shit and the dead mice. Uh, Lancaster County Department of Corrections records show Inegas was booked on a charge of second-degree assault in possession of a deadly weapon during the commission of a felony. Because you talk about my dog doo-doo and my dead mice, you's going to get stabbed. I always feel bad for those children, like when you watch that TV show Hoarders, mm -hmm. and they're so embarrassed by the mess in the house that they can't have friends over, their clothes aren't clean, they're trying not to smell. I mean, I just feel really bad because they didn't ask for that. That's true. That's very true. We move on. A suspect fingers Netflix over a shrooms bust. <laughs> Wait, a suspect what? Fingers Netflix. You know, the, the, the streaming service? Yeah. Yeah, it's all this where you said the word fingers. Fingers, yeah. Fing, fig, figners, fingers. <laughs> Did I say it weird? <laughs> fingers. No, just it... it Anyway, it yeah. was weird. A man wanted to experiment and chill, according to him, but okay. Netflix evidently wouldn't let him. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, a motorist arrested for possession of a bag of magic mushrooms told police that he saw the hallucinogen on a show on Netflix and wanted to try it. Okay. Of course, we're going to Florida, Mally. <laughs> it's a Florida story. 41-year-old... Christopher Singleton, according to cops, was driving an unregistered Ford F-150 late Friday evening when he was pulled over on a highway in Wildwood, which is a city about 50 miles from Florida. 
or Orlando rather. It's in Florida. You mm-hmm. get what I'm talking about. Upon approaching the vehicle, a cop detected the smell of burnt marijuana, prompting him to ask Singleton if there were drugs in the pickup. Singleton, seen at uh, right, which you can't see, but I'm looking at him. It's it's podcasting. Reportedly replied, "Yes, I have like oil, like vape stuff." <laughs> He was real honest at this point. Yeah. During a subsequent search of the truck, police found a Crown Royal satchel containing three bags of marijuana, a tube of THC wax, and a baggie of three grams of psilocybin mushrooms. Dang. Dude was partying. Yeah. Yeah. Singleton Cops report said the shrooms were psilocybin mushrooms to hallucinate. Well, that was nice of him. I mean, he, he, he gave him specifics. Mm-hmm. That was a I like how he had everything in a Crown Royale bag. <laughs> well, you know, he was he was getting fancy with it. Apparently. Yeah, yeah. Uh, adding that he, quote, saw them in a show on Netflix and wanted to try them. Mm. Yeah. You'd think he'd just get like a tiny bit, not go full out. Right. Three grams. Maybe he's never tried it. Three, yeah. Three grams is a lot of mushrooms. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he says the show that purportedly turned him onto mushrooms is not identified in the police report, though the documentary Have a Good Trip, Adventures in Psychedelics, and the more trippy Coco Melon are likely suspects. <laughs> Coco Melon. Coco Melon got him to try him. <laughs> are you a big fan of the Coco Melon, by the way? My niece, she loves that show. She's two. Is she high on uh, mushrooms? <laughs> no. No. But I mean, yeah, you, you don't that know that for rules. sure, though, right? Huh? You don't know that for sure, though, right? Have you checked her room? Stop. Oh, She's two. Okay. I'm just wondering. I mean, if you ask. nothing her, around her exists when she watches that show. Then she's on mushrooms. <laughs> no, she's just focused. Have you gone up to her and been like, uh, hey, are you Bogarting? Are you holding? <laughs> no. <laughs> you want to share with Auntie? You ever said that? Yeah. No, I've never no. said that. Okay. Uh, charged with misdemeanor and felony drug possession counts, Singleton was booked into the Sumter County Jail, from which he was released on bond Saturday night. Does this look like a guy who's high on cocoa melon? Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> do you, I mean, which which program do you think you're probably watching if you're high on mushrooms? Are you watching? Are you watching the documentary Have a Good Trip, Adventures in Psychedelics, or are you watching Coco Melon? Yeah. I thought that they usually watch that. <laughs> what's that what's that show with Mickey Mouse and like the brooms that are dancing and the is it Fantasia or Fan Yeah, Fantasia. Where people that supposedly are high on something watch and it just messes them up. Uh you're are you talking about uh, the pink pink Floyd the wall? Is that what you're talking about? No, but I've heard that too. But no, yeah. it's the Mickey Mouse one where it's like the dancing stuff around with his magic. Yeah, Fantasia. Yeah, yeah, and it messes people up. I'm still working on smoking up and watching Pink Floyd The Wall. I, I, I've never, I never did that. Everybody's done mm-hmm. that but me. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I haven't done it either, but. Yeah. Everybody seems to say if you, something about. If you put on Pink Floyd the Wall and then you start mm-hmm. Wizard of the Wizard of Oz at a certain point, it all lines up. I've never done that. I think I would be too high to even try and do that. 
like to go, oh, I'm going to have two things coincide. I just don't think I mentally would be there to do it. <laughs> I want to know who's got that much concentration when they're high. I don't know. I mean, especially if it's on a record player, you got to put the needle exactly on it. Mm-hmm. I mean, me, I, I shake like someone's been screaming in my ear for half an hour. And that's, and that's when I've got two morphine in me. I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know, Mally. Oh, we're at the food pro- portion of our program. Speaking of being yeah. high on mushrooms. <laughs> Yay. I know. Do we have a not safe for work portion of our program today? I don't think we do. I think we go. To, oh, oh, you know what? Hmm. Do you consider booger face enough to go not Gross. safe for work? Just the, just the, just the, probably the name just booger to be face. safe. Okay. Well, yeah. Then we'll go not safe for work for the final story. You know, every time we talk about food though, we go off on tangents. We do. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're about to, we're about to talk about, oh, you know what? Uh, okay. What? Okay. 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 Mm-hmm. <laughs> you ready for this? Yeah. How do you feel about grits? I love grits. <gasps> Me too. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, how do you take your grits? It depends. If it's for breakfast, I do butter and sugar. <gasps> Me too. It, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or I, and if it's like um, a side for any other meal, I do cheese grits. What kind of cheese? Uh, my grandma used to do uh, like a like a mild cheddar. Okay. So, have you ever done American cheese? No. No. But I like American cheese on hash browns when then you go to diners and they put that on there. Yeah, yeah, me too. So I probably, I think American cheese might be fine. It probably melts pretty good. It, it does. Velveeta is actually pretty good. Mm-hmm. I did Velveeta yeah. once in my grits and it was amazing. Yeah, no, I love grits. And sometimes I just do salt and pepper, but for the most part, if it's breakfast, it's the sugar and butter. <gasps> I, that's, that's really the only way I like in lots. Like when I mm-hmm. go to Cracker Barrel, lots. Mm-hmm. Like I, I tell love them, Cracker Barrel. I tell them to back <sighs> up the wagon with bug, butter, bugger and sugar. Um, <laughs> with butter, I can't even say it with butter and sugar. <clears throat> just one wagon of butter, one wagon mm-hmm. of sugar, and and just a <laughs> tiny little bowl of grits. Mm-hmm. I tell them to bring like a wagon to mix it in. So we've got three wagons. <laughs> we got three wheelbarrows, and I'll just I'll make it myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know you can get instant grits, like at the store. You can? Uh-huh. Like little oatmeal packets, kind oh, of. Really? Mm-hmm. So then you don't have to try and cook it on a stovetop. You can just pour your whatever you want into it, water or whatever, and then just nuke it if you want. So it's quicker. But yeah, they make grits and then like little packets like they do oatmeal. You just changed my life, Mally Fox. Mm-hmm. Really? Mm-hmm. I love me some grits. People don't understand that because I am truly a northern boy, but I love mm-hmm. me some grits. Now maybe you got some southern influence somewhere. Maybe. I don't know. Well, this woman, she's all of 28 years old. You tell me. I'm going to show you a picture here. Does this woman look like she's 28? No, she looks older. She looks like a lunch lady. Doesn't she? she like mm-hmm. a lunch lady with red hair. <laughs> yeah, I would say she's probably like late 30s, early 40s. To me, she looks like she's 20 years older than 28. She looks like she could yeah. be pushing almost 50. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, she she definitely did not win the geno- genetic lottery, that's for sure. I mean, she's. I'm sure she's a nice woman. I'm sure mm-hmm. she's, you know, giving of her community. I'm sure she's, you know, 
She just. So then why does she have a mugshot? <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you she's why, like, Mally. Oh, I'm sure she's a pillar of society she's or a, community. That's super right. Super sweet, but she's weird freaking. <laughs> she's as sweet as the sugar in her grits, Mally. But here's what happened. It just so turns out that as she was putting sugar in those grits, she uh, battered her mother with them. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, the female victim, by the way, 64, was covered in grits when officers arrived. <laughs> oh. She did. She battered her poor mother with grits. This 28-year-old woman did. An argument over kitchen usage turned violent Monday afternoon with when uh, her name is Jaquella Mobley, she's 28 years old, grabbed some of the grits being cooked by her mother and hit her in the face with the porridge. Ooh, so it's probably scalding hot. Yeah, she pulled an Al Green on her. Mm. Ow. Uh, The victim, Isla Johnson, told Florida cops, of course we're going to Florida, that Mobley had been drinking and using drugs and that when she does this, she becomes aggressive towards her. Johnson added that she did not want to contact police since the matter was juvenile at its core. Mm -hmm. A sheriff's deputy who responded to the Ocala residence noted that he observed dried grits on the side of the victim's face, as well as matching grits on the kitchen counter and in a nearby dustpan. Well, poor lady, because it sounds like her daughter's done this before. Yeah. Mobley was arrested for battery and misdemeanor and booked into the Marion County Jail where she's being held in lieu of $2,500 bond. I think there should be an additional charge, wasting good grits. (laughs) Mobley, who told police she had been sleeping on the streets, has multiple battery arrests but does not have any convictions. You know, you'd have a place to live if you wouldn't waste grits. If you'd just cook them and serve them and make everybody happy. Mm, poor mom yeah i know we got more food news here more more food battery okay this man who looks like he's probably been dropping mushrooms himself (laughs) (laughs) isn't keeping his mushrooms on his hamburgers mally he's dropping them and doing evil things with hamburgers this 21 year old man beat his girlfriend over hamburgers Worse yet, they're the most delicious hamburgers in the world. Are they five guys? Oh, sacrilege. Mm-hmm. You think five guys are the most delicious hamburgers in the world? No, but I really like them. I do too. I'm not going to say I really like five guys because somebody's going to actually take that. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, kind of like when you do Cincinnati chili. Or Skyway, and you say, is it Skyway or Sky? Skyline. Skyline. There we go. Mm-hmm. Um, and you say, I like it three-way. Because <laughs> it's with the beans. Yeah, with the beans. Yeah. Beans and cheese. Uh, beans and cheese and cheese and beans. Uh, this suspect is angry that the victim did not bring in and out. Oh, those are good bookers, too. Oh, I love, I love, I love me some in and out. An Oregon man has pleaded not guilty to assaulting his girlfriend for failing to bring home the old in and out, if you know what I mean, Mm -hmm. Uh, for dinner. For dinner! A 21-year-old Medford resident, Christian Berry, 
appeared in circuit court in connection with his arrest last month for allegedly attacking the 20-year-old victim whom he has dated for four years. Gotta ask you something. Would you date old neckbeard here for four years? No. He looks like he gets mad when his parents don't send him money. Yeah. Like he's entitled. Yeah. I I would think he would be on a very short leash. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, old neckbeard there. I, I would think he should he should get down on his knees and thank God that any woman would give him the time of day, much less bring him home burgers. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's just my little rant for today. <laughs> uh, In-N-Out should send the uh, poor girl like a year, a year's worth of burgers. Right? They should. Mm-hmm. They should. They should say, um, "Poor Miss." Uh, I don't know. Is there a name for this poor woman here? I don't think there is. I, I think she chose to be unnamed because she was ashamed that she was dating this guy for four years. Um. So 21-year-old Christian Berry, Medford resident, appeared in circuit court in connection with his arrest last month for allegedly attacking the 20-year-old victim whom he dated for four years. Four years way too many. Mm-hmm. Uh, according to a probable cause affidavit, the hulking Barry, who is 6'2 and 300 pounds. Oh, he's big. Can you imagine the fat flap that's hanging over his tiny Stop! little dinky? I mean... <laughs> I mean, really, take a look. Could you? No, he just looks like a huge guy. Can you just imagine looking into his eyes as he's hulking over you, going, uh, Can I get some uh, of that, darling? Timmy. <laughs> All right, Timmy. So, All right. When you're doing that, the picture's going up and down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, knock it off. God. <laughs> just think, I just saved you about 800 calories at dinner. <laughs> Wasn't that nice of me, Mel? Uh. <laughs> Sorry, I'll get back to the story here. <laughs> According to a probable cause affidavit, the hulking Barry, who's 6'2 and 300 pounds, that's probably being conservative, uh, punched the woman and struck her with a cane, which he probably needs to get around. <laughs> During a police interview, Barry reportedly, the man is in his 20s. What's he doing with a cane? Mm. He's a big boy. Probably pleasuring himself with it. Stop. Probably he's going on a Dixie diet. A Dixie Have diet? you ever heard of the Dixie diet? No, what's the Dixie diet? <laughs> Where you got to lose weight to see your dick. <laughs> I know she she stopped seeing it about two years ago. <laughs> She's like, I ain't touching it if you ain't touching it. You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> uh, during a police interview, Barry report, reportedly admitted to the attack and said that he had been arguing with his girlfriend because she didn't bring home no in and out burgers for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> You know why? Because you don't need them. Mm. How about a salad? <laughs> yeah, which probably would have been thrown at her, unfortunately. At least it wouldn't hurt as much. <clears throat> True. Sad. On September 9th, the day before Barry's arrest, In-N-Out opened its first store in Oregon. The California-based hamburger chain's Medford location is about three miles from the residence in which Barry allegedly beat the victim. Maybe if he would have walked to the In-N-Out Burger. There we go. It's just three miles. That's not too far. No. 
the woman investigators noted was treated at a local hospital for her injuries, which included extensive bruising, contusions, and scratches on her body and a lump on her face. Aww. Oh, that poor girl. When asked if he had also kicked the victim, as the woman alleged, Barry said he did not remember. However, a cop reported Barry told me that if she said it happened, then it probably did. The officer added that Barry confessed to assaulting the woman about 13 times during the last year. Oh, that piece oh of shit. so she keeps coming back. Why? Ugh. It's not like he's a prize. That's true. He's not. He's definitely uh-uh. not. You know, all she's got to do is just keep running. He's never going to catch up. I'm just saying. (laughs) (laughs) That lazy fat fuck. (laughs) And this is coming from a lazy fat fuck. (laughs) I'm just saying. Get DoorDash if she didn't get your burgers. Yeah. Get DoorDash and have them delivered. (gasps) They don't deliver to my area, Molly. Barry has been indicted on an assortment of criminal counts, including a felony assault rap that carries a minimum prison sentence of nearly six years. Here's an idea. Send him away for 10. Mm-hmm. Put a burger on a string and make him chase it around the unit. I hope she didn't help with like his bail and stuff. I hope this is her wake-up call. Time to move on. I have something more disgusting to tell you. Are you ready for this? Uh, Barry, who is free on his own recognizance, has been ordered to have no contact with the victim. He's scheduled for a November 16th preliminary hearing in circuit court. Hmm. That asshole. Yep. We move on. Um, oh, by the way, I have to show you this picture. Okay. These two men... Right right here, robbed of Virginia convenience (laughs) store. (laughs) I'll tell you why Mally's laughing here in a second. Uh huh. The one guy on the right looks like that's his father because he looks he looks older (laughs) just by the ways he does. You know what I mean? And dads always put their arm around like their sons. Yeah. Shoulders. Yeah. Oh boy. Reason we're laughing so hard is because these two men were wearing hollowed-out watermelon rinds on their heads and stole alcohol from a Virginia convenience store, according to police who apprehended the two masked bandits. Literally, they just hollowed out watermelons and put them on yep. their heads with two eye holes. Their ski mask must have been in the wash. Yeah, exactly, Mel. <laughs> the duo cops say uh, earlier this month swiped booze from a Sheets convenience store in Louisa, a town 30 miles east of Charlottesville. As recorded in surveillance footage, the melon-headed perps had cut eye holes in the watermelon rinds. The pair even posed for a photograph at a food line store in Louisa prior to their alleged alcohol heist. Are you serious? Yeah. (laughs) Police have charged 20-year-old Justin Rogers with larceny, underage possession of alcohol, and wearing a mask while committing larceny. I wonder if they took it off and then hit it with a sledgehammer like Gallagher afterwards. They probably mm. scooped out all the watermelon and going to make like watermelon margaritas oh, or something. Oh, that'd be delicious. Better not waste the fruit. That's right. Rogers is pictured in the mug shot. At right. Oh, here's what this kid looks like. Here, I'll, I'll blow it up. This is, and he's literally a kid. Look at him. Oh, yeah. He's kind of cute. You know who he looks like? <laughs> who does he look like? He looks like Zach. 
Oh, he does? Like a younger version of Zach. He does. He looks like Zach Baggins. Look at that. <laughs> I doubt Zach is that that hard up for alcohol. Right. Yeah. For sure. I, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, police have asked anyone with information about the identity of Roger's accomplice to call them, noting that the reference case is, believe it or not, melon heads. <laughs> and that's the honest to God truth. All right, our our final story today, Mally, is, Mm -hmm. we'll call it not safe for work. Okay. Although it's not really that not safe for work, but we'll give you three, two, one, put in your earbuds if you're at work or get the kids away because it is a bad name that they shouldn't be calling their friends. And you can kind of turn this down if you're at work as well because you shouldn't be calling your coworkers this way you're at work. Here's the bad word, Mally. Booger face. Eh. Yeah. It sounds a, like a five-year-old. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? It's a taunt, <laughs> it's a taunt that led to an abuse bust. Oh. Cops say that a 46-year-old woman struck her son after the name was called Booger okay. Face. Yeah. After being called Booger Face by her son, a Florida woman, of course, we're going to Florida, Smacked the child, breaking his glasses and leaving him with cuts on his face. Mm. According to police who arrested her on a felony abuse charge, as alleged in an arrest affidavit, Betty Jean Union, who's all of 46 years old, by the way, never mess with this woman and call her booger face. Oh, she looks mean. Doesn't she look mean? Mm-hmm. She looks like she keeps a wooden spoon handy. <laughs> in each holster. Uh, was angered by the name-calling and retaliated by striking the victim with a partially opened hand like this. Mm. And you know it was the back of the hand, right? Right. Yeah. The blow caused the glasses on the victim to break and a small laceration to the defendant's right cheek and his inside upper lip. That is a smack. Mm-hmm. That's like whoop, like that. Right. Right. The confrontation Tuesday evening occurred in a home in Safety Harbor, which is a city in the Tampa Bay area. Union was busted on a felony child abuse charge and booked into the county jail. She was released from custody on her own recognizance. A judge ordered Union to have no contact with the child, especially upside the head. Additionally, she was allowed a one-time visit in the presence of police to retrieve her belongings from the residence. Mm. That's how tough Boogerface really is. Yikes. The red-acted affidavit does not include the age of the victim, but indicates that Union does not have custody of him. Mm. Interesting. Court records show that Union, who divorced in 1996, has been involved in two separate paternity actions since 2013. Wow. She looks rough, too. Yeah, she does. Yeah. And by the way, she has a much better mustache than I could ever grow. Take a look at that. (laughs) Yeah, the shading is a little bit dark. Yeah. I mean, she's got to trim that thing at least twice a day. Maybe she has a hormonal problem. I want that hormonal problem. (laughs) I can't even say it. I am in such awe right now. She looks like she's working on the goatee, though. That's that's pretty nice. Oh. Oh, come on. Come and play the reindeer games with me or Coco Melon, whichever comes yeah. first. By the way, I gotta figure out uh gotta figure out how Coco Melon gets you to do mushrooms. I've not seen Coco Melon. Is it a good program? 
Um, I've only seen bits and parts of it. It's cute. I mean, it entertains little children, so. Speaking of trippy things, did you watch the slime version of the, the Super Bowl? The slime version? No. Yeah, the, the Nickelodeon version of the of the Super Bowl. Did you watch no. it at all? Uh-uh. I turned over for a little bit. Okay. And realized I was not high or drunk enough to watch the rest of it. <laughs> I didn't even know that it was going on. Oh, Nickelodeon had an excellent version of the Super Bowl, which if my family would have been tolerant enough, I think we would have watched that. Okay. It had SpongeBob and Patrick on commentary. Uh-huh. And the star of the show by far was Dora the Explainer. Oh. Dora would come on after the referee would blow the whistle and call it a penalty. And Dora the Explainer would come on, and she would explain what the penalty was and why the penalty was called. Okay. Excellent. <laughs> I can't explain to you how, how good the information was and how it was good for people who don't watch football. And even okay. for people who do watch football. <clears throat> I, I, I found it refreshing. Hmm. It also made me want to get up and get more Doritos. <laughs> I do like Super Bowl snacks. Yeah. I just felt like at that point, uh, I was so high that cartoons were explaining to me what football was all about. Oh. That I, I, I didn't feel like I was high. I just felt like I was in the middle of a really bad trip. Gotcha. Yeah. So. But yeah, the Super Bowl was trippy this year. I think... Uh, Whoever's over there at Viacom, CBS, mm-hmm. man, they're high 24-7. Yes. I just, uh, and then slime everywhere. You know, have uh, you ever seen the effect when they score a touchdown and the, the CGI slime comes down out, out of the stands? No. Fills the, fills the end zone? Oh. It's a thing of beauty, Mally. Gotcha. Thing of beauty. I'll have to take your word for it. Yeah. Just saying. So that'll do it for uh, Dumb Crime, Stupid Criminals and Rip from the Headlines for today for True Crime Tuesday. We're back tomorrow with Supernatural News. Thursday, Mally, if we got a show. Hmm. Not that we don't have a show tomorrow and, right. and today. And Cheryl Lynn Carter is with us. She's got a brand new book out there called Chosen. It has to, oh. it has to do with aliens and alien abduction. Okay. We're bringing the heat on Thursday. So, big week. Cool. Big week, big week. So, yeah, Supernatural News tomorrow. What we got going on over on your side of the uh, planet over there in Michigan? Um, I am going to try and do a vision board. <gasps> Ooh. Yes. I need to do one, too. Mm-hmm. I've got the paper to print on. I got my, my board. Okay. And I've got a glue stick. So now I just have to figure out what what resonates to me to make like I think I'll go out like a year. Okay. So, but yeah. So when when you do this vision board, mm-hmm. how uh, I, I realize you have to put things on this vision board that you want to manifest, right? Right. Okay. So how much? How much effort and intention do you put into it? Is it laissez-faire or are you really concentrating so hard that your mind almost explodes? I'm not quite sure yet. Okay. 
So I know you're supposed to look at it, what, like every day. Mm-hmm. So maybe things that could be more realistic, more, this is what I really want. But I am kind of like laxy-daisy. So <laughs> okay. I don't know. <clears throat> I'm going to give it a try. I'm going to do health and I'm going to do business and I'm going to do just anything that I feel when I see these photos. Okay. So we shall see. So this is going to be like an everyday type vision board. This is like. Yeah, I'm going to put it in my office. Okay. So I stare at it every day. I like that. So you know, we shall see. You know, Because half the time I'll start the board and then, or I'll start a project and then I don't finish because that's my ADHD. I'm like, oh, sparkly paper. <laughs> and then I'm off to something else. So we shall see. I like it. I think I'll join you in that vision board. I got do. Yeah, I'm. I'm going to do one as well. Okay, cool. So that's what. And I'll, then, and then in a year, yeah, let's compare notes and see if anything came true on our board. I like it. We'll do that. Okay, we'll do that. So that's that's what we're doing this week. We're doing vision boards. So yeah, and you know what? Let's throw the challenge out there to our audience as well. Okay. So here's your here's your assignment, your little homework assignment for this week. You as well put together a vision board out there, our Darkness Radio audience. Put a little vision board together in your workspace, whether it be at work or your workspace at home. Maybe you have a home office. Maybe you have a little home workspace. Maybe you've got a workshop at home. Put just a, it can be just a little piece of paper that's got little images that you cut out or little images you draw, whatever it is. A little vision board. Put it in your workspace and make it realistic for the next year. Goals you want to achieve for the next year. Put it up in that workspace. Look at it every day. Envision it. See if it comes true. Put today's date on it or the date that you that you post the vision board mm-hmm. in your workspace. And then we'll check back in one year. One year. Today's date yes. is the 20th. This show posts on the 20th. So February 20th, 2025. We'll be back to check in with everybody. Yeah. There you go. We'll see exactly how everybody's vision went down. And did you achieve those goals? I like it, Mally. You're a visionary. <laughs> see what I did there? We'll see if I get it done. <laughs> well, no, it's, it's not a I probably that. will, though, since I invested all this money on paper to print on. <laughs> there you that go. That photo paper's not cheap. <laughs> That's true. It's not cheap. So there you go. Good idea, Mel. Good idea. So we'll do that today. Vision boards this week. So vision boards. We'll, we'll work on that. All right. So for Mally Fox, I'm Tim Dennis. Thank you so much for tuning in for Ripped from the Headlines and Dumb Crime Stupid Criminals. Tomorrow, it's Supernatural News right here on Darkness Radio. Thank you for tuning in to the best in true crime and paranormal podcasting. This is Darkness Radio.